Uh, yeah, before we do our shout-outs, Jeff, uh, you know, obviously we asked you a lot of questions. What can you tell us about the game that is not going to get you in trouble? I can tell you that at the 16, the 16 years I've worked at Volition, this is, I think, the most exciting title I've worked on. It is, I will say it forever, the best-looking title we have worked on, which it should be, because we should be getting better each time we do things. This is going to be a wonderful product that everyone will enjoy, and I honest-to-goodness hope that everyone listening to this gives it a chance. You are listening to Trophy Horse with your hosts, Tricky Mick, Alex, I Yield to No One, Steve, and Sid. And welcome to Trophy Wars. This is episode 493, and boy, do we have a treat in store for you. I'm your host, Tricky Mick, alongside with me, the man, the myth, the legend. Actually, he might not be the legend this week because we actually have an actual legend on the show. It's Alex. <laughs> well, I can't believe that I'm the treat, Tricky. Thank you very much for being so kind. Oh, wait, I'm not the treat. Oh, never mind. He brings the awesome, it's I yield to no one. Football's back. And as promised and advertised for the last week, we have a good friend of the show. It's Mr. Jeff Hanna. How are you doing, sir? Uh, good. I just want you to know that Audacity is telling me that I have recording space for 337 hours and 37 minutes. So try not to let the show go over normal length tonight because I can't fit in that extra, like, 338th hour. Yeah, if, if I had to edit, edit a show that long, I'd get it out in, like, 2030. No one's going to listen after our... 52. I don't know. People like it when you come on, Jeff, so they may just devote the rest of their lives to listening to you talk on this podcast. I have to say, when I put out the notice that you were going to be on the show, I got so many messages going, I cannot wait to hear this episode. Oh, generally, like my stepbrother, I didn't even know he listened to the show, but the first time Jeff was on, well, at least recently, there was an episode when he was talking a lot about Sea of Thieves, like my stepbrother, he, he almost rarely ever uh, texts me about the show. Uh, but he did recently with the Activision Blizzard stuff, and but mostly it's only when Jeff's on. He gets really excited when Jeff's on. Are we supposed to laugh at your bad joke of saying Sea of Thieves and then rarely? Oh, was that a joke? I didn't even intend that. Usually usually my, my humor is very pointed, but uh, apparently I made a joke and I didn't even... Uh... Yeah, you did. Oh, well. Rare being the developer of Oh, shit, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, and I yeah. and I and I consider myself a rare connoisseur, so well as much as I can be these days, not on an Xbox console. So yeah, I don't even know. Thanks for pointing that out. Uh, and for the people that are wondering, I did get that nasty ass Xbox out of my house. Sold it to a friend. Yeah, you keep saying that, but you've owned like three. I've I th- this was the first Series X that I had in my house, and technically I didn't own it. I bought it for a friend of a friend who bailed at me on. Bailed on me at the last minute. Well, apparently you don't feel bad enough about it selling it to a friend. Well, I mean, when he's, I, I, I don't want to put out who I sold it to, but uh, he, uh, he's not a a console snob, I should say. He plays. Everything. I appreciate you not running that up to scalper value. 
Oh no! See that—that that was the whole thing. Is like somebody was like, "Oh, you now you can sell for scalp value." I was like, "No, my whole process." Because Jeff, I don't know if you've uh, paid attention to any of the shows or any of the posts uh, for the last couple of weeks. Uh, I found a source that was able to pick up uh, PlayStation fives and Xbox Series uh, uh, consoles, and I've been basically just getting them and then selling them to you know people that want one. It, it's always the bundle. It's never just the console, but. Nothing's overcharged. Everything's full price. And all I say is pay me for the console and pay for shipping and I'll send it out to you. That's awesome. Yeah, you sent me that link and uh, it was just a little little out of the budget right now for me, unfortunately. Yeah, I, uh, listen, I, I felt so bad. Bec- well, I, you know what? I can't say I felt bad. I was a little pissed off because I, I received a special request. Hey, can you get an Xbox Series bundle? I said, I can try. And I said, just make sure this person knows that it's not going to just be the console. It's going to be a bundle, and it can range anywhere from 600 to $900. Yeah, 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 we're good, we're good, we're good. I get it. I paid for it. I sent out the message saying, hey, I got the, the Series X. And they're like, oh, no, I uh, I found it on my own. I'm no longer going to need it. Oof. You could have told me. And, and the in-between friend was like, I feel so bad. I'm so sorry. I'm like, it's not your fault, but... I did secretly wish that this person's order got canceled. Yeah, it's it's gotten so bad. It, anyone who follows me on Facebook knows that I've actually started building my own console. <laughs> I uh, I got the chassis finished last week, and actually this weekend I was working on the faceplate. I I'm going with a fixed faceplate, not like a 360 interchangeable faceplate, but you could in fact redo this one in place if you wanted to. Ooh, this will be cool when it's done. Uh, next week I'm going to well right now I'm working on the faceplate and the base because you know you got to get your console on a base uh, and then next week I'm working on the expandable storage I, I, I've seen some uh, preview builds and uh, it does look like it's going to come out very well it's going to be big I'm going like PS5 is like a medium size console it's going to be bigger than that but it's going to have really good airflow that's important. So, like, this is like you're obviously looking to build this for for how many years? Like, you're gonna you're gonna play on this thing for how many years going forward? Oh, this is an heirloom piece. Like, you can hand this down into future generations. I feel like I should let him in on the joke. I mean, I'm using the highest quality materials: three quarter inch plywood, maple, poplar, barn door hardware. <sighs> All right, let's do as we do every week. Give you our updated trophy count. I am level six hundred sixteen. Total trophies of fourteen thousand three hundred eighty-eight with two hundred sixty-eight platinums. Alex, level four forty-seven. Total trophy count seven thousand four hundred sixty-two with a platinum count of a hundred and fifteen and a hundred and fourteen games. Yield four five four. Trophy count of seven six three seven and a platinum count of one thirty-three. Sid is level 518 with total trophies of 10,488 with 180 Platinums. Jeff, uh, is there any hope that you've earned a trophy yet? Uh, no, but I have uh, 41,757 uh, Xbox Gold. There you go. And I have finished all of the uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean Tall Tales and Sea of Thieves. Awesome. Is that good? It's really good. It's really good. Actually, I was helping a friend run through them today. 
you want to talk about since we're, what we're playing is next? You can start us off. Sure. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Sea of Thieves, uh, as I always do. I've been playing that for years. I have dipped my toe into Psychonauts 2. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm wondering how much Double Fine paid to use Michael J. Fox's likeness for Raz. Um, and then uh, I've fallen into Antstream Arcade really heavily. Do you guys know what Antstream is? No. I do not. Antstream Arcade streams 8-bit, 16-bit, and arcade games to you to play, and then they maintain worldwide high scores, and they have challenges and trophies and stuff. It's, uh, and it's, I think it's like AntstreamArcade.com. Let me look it up real quick, and then you download it the player. It's Antstream.com. A-N-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot C-O-M. And... You think of an arcade game, classic arcade game, or an 8 or 16-bit uh, computer game, and more than likely they have it in their library. And they do trophies and tournaments and all sorts of cool stuff, and I've been really heavily into that. Do they do they have any Nintendo stuff on there, Jeff? Uh, I don't believe so. Go figure. Yeah. Right? Now, we, we had a recent story about Nintendo and, and one of their lawsuits and, and ROMs and stuff. I, w- I was just curious. Uh, and then on top of all that, I have, uh, again, dipped my toe into The Ascent, but I have not had time to really get into that yet. All right. Uh, Alex? So I finished off Maneater. I got the Platinum in Maneater last week, and I just wanted to uh, just kind of I put some notes down, some pros and cons of the game, because I really enjoyed it. So uh, I did want to throw a little bit more positivity towards Maneater. Kind of just the pros first. Uh, it was really cool that it was kind of set up as a nature documentary with like funny commentary and with like a lot of social commentary on humans' relationship with the natural world and also the exploitation of it. Uh, playing as a shark is a lot of fun, and watching your shark grow and get stronger makes you feel like a killing machine. Like I said, the fav- my favorite part of the game was the Apex Predator boss fights. Those were really cool. Uh, great job of world building, like especially with the city and like progressing through different areas of the city. Uh, the signpost collectibles uh, present neat pop culture references, and then uh, it's kind of cool that you can customize your shark. Uh, just the cons of the game, uh, the controls feel kind of janky to start. Uh, constantly cramming down in the R2 buttons gets kind of tiresome. Uh, the R2 is, again, the bite to kind of eat things. Uh, missions can be boring and tedious. Some uh, some kind of ecological destruction meter would have been better, and then building your infamy meter takes too long. Infamy meter is essentially uh, to kill the human enemies in the game. You have to get the, the kind of the boss characters, I guess. You have to get your infamy, infamy meter up by eating just normal people and, like, hunters and stuff. And you can literally eat, destroy, like, 50 boats, just, like, eat hundreds of people before your meter gets to the next spot where, you, like, the, the boss hunter comes out. So, uh, that was, they could have done that, like, it, it just kind of got a little tedious. They could have made that happen a little quicker. Uh, but overall, I really like Man Eaters a game, so, uh, especially for those of you on PlayStation Plus, you got it for free at the early part of the year, so again, crack it open, crack open Man Eater. But... Obviously, the big news of the week, Psychonauts 2 is out, and I jumped headfirst into Psychonauts. Uh, I, as I've said before, I bought Psychonauts the first day it was available for the PlayStation 2. It came to, P- to Xbox first, and then later to PlayStation 2, and I was just super hyped for the game. Not a commercial success of a game, which is kind of crazy, because I feel like in 2021, like I'm still kind of wrapping my mind around playing a Psychonauts 2, because this game really should not have been made, like based on its commercial, you know 
like the lack of commercial success and just in general like after brutal legend double fine saying we're going to smaller games because you know these larger budget games are not feasible for us but you know obviously with behind crowdfunding psychonauts 2 was made and i i love i, I i'm a, bit, a huge fan of the game yield asked me how i'm liking it and i said i'm loving it uh and it just it just feels like psychonauts like the kind of the clunky platforming is there from the original so if you were hoping for better like the camera's probably better but the platforming like it's still kind of clunky in the way that it was in the first Psychonauts. So if you're looking for that to be different, you know it, it's it's going to be the same. But in general, just like the creativity that went into this game and just going into people's minds and playing levels within people's minds and like all the psychic powers you get, like I'm just amazed by the creativity that Double Fine. Like they're still wowing me. I played the first Psychonauts and I played Brutal Legend and I played a lot of their games, stacking Costume Quest. I'm still amazed by the amount of creativity that they can pump into their games. Like just. The humor is on point. The writing, like there's a, you like one of the levels is kind of like a hospital level, and the if you've never played Psychonauts, like there's these little collectibles, kind of like figments of the imagination. And one of the figments outside the hospital was like a bill that was like astronomical, like a million, a trillion dollars. I can't remember, but just those little bits of humor that they throw into the game. Uh, and uh, Doctor Lobato is on point with his with his humor and just his commentary throughout the game. Whenever I've seen him at different points, so like I. Psychonauts 2, as a Psychonauts fan, is everything I could have possibly wanted. It, it's more Psychonauts, and yes, they've you know pressed the, progressed the game in a lot of ways, but a lot of it feels kind of just like the original Psychonauts, especially with the charm and the writing and the you know the graphical style. Even though the graphics look much better, obviously, you know, on the four or the five or the X or the S, uh, there's still so much charm that just kind of came over from Psychonauts, and it's just kind of one of those games that if you love the first one, you'll absolutely love the second one too. So I, I as a Psychonauts fan, I'm I'm all in for this game. And it, Jeff, I wonder, like, coming from the side of, you know, I don't know if you played the first one, but being a developer yourself and working in a dev studio, like, how has your experience with Psychonauts been? Oh, I, I absolutely love the first one, and I played it on the OG Xbox. Uh, but I just, before I get to that, I just want to clarify, this is a Microsoft release, so it's it's Xbox exclusive, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's not? Really? Huh. I'm going to go look for Horizon Zero Dawn on my Xbox right now. I'm not going to find it. You though. can play it on your PC, though. On the yes. on the Mahogany Elm PC that you're building there. No, I'm building a console. I have a PC. It's old and outdated, and I want a new one, but whatever. Uh, I love Psychonauts 2, from what I've seen so far, but I'm also very enamored of Double Fine. I know... Uh, I know Lee Petty at Double Fine. He's a very good friend of mine. I've been to the Double Fine offices, and I hold that company in the dearest regard. I can't believe they've been around for two decades. They're that little company that you never really think have been around that long because they always seem new and fresh. Um, I love all of their work. You've named a few of them. I also believe that Headlander is an unappreciated classic from them. And I couldn't believe how quickly in Psychonauts 2 it established itself as Psychonauts. Like, you're instantly thrown into things and suddenly you're collecting figments, you're finding bag tags, you're using your powers. It And the intro to it is so nice in that it's a tutorial, it's a really well done tutorial, and it ties together the story of Psychonauts 1 and the Psychonauts VR release, which I have not had a chance to play, unfortunately, and really brings new players right up to speed brilliantly. It's so well done that uh, 
it's it's kind of mind blowing what they did to make sure that they could onboard new players and get old players back into the groove as quickly as they did. Yeah, because Levi asked me if he needed to play the first one before this one, and you know I said there might be some references you'll miss, but as soon as you, before you even get to the start screen, like they give you the the rundown from from the first game, so you know everything going in story wise, major beats wise. So I mean, you're good to go if you just want to start with Psychonauts too. And like I guess they did that because it's like, hey, it's been such a long time since Psychonauts. We don't want to assume that you played it or that you played it recently. So I did like that they made it easy for people just to jump in with with Psychonauts too. So, I mean, just everything I've seen about the game, I, I'm i a huge fan of. And, and Double Fine, you know, when Microsoft bought them, Double Fine's one of those studios that they're not going to bring you huge amounts of financial success. They're not going to, like, drop a Call of Duty or, like, a Skyrim on you. But for people in the know, for people who follow games and who've been playing games for a long time, like, that is a purchase that brings you a lot of credit. It's like, we love Double Fine. Like, I universally love studio, even if their games don't sell to everyone. I think I've never heard anyone say bad thing about Double Fine. So that's a that's a purchase that is wise because that gets you a lot of credit with people within the industry, but also people who pay attention and play a lot of games within the industry. Yep, and I would agree. You can you can start at Psychonauts 2 without a problem story-wise. I would 100% recommend that you go back and play Psychonauts 1 at some point. The level design in there's there's a level in Psychonauts 1 where the art direction is literally Black light paint on black velvet. Black Velvetopia. Yeah. Black Velvetopia. It's outstanding, and it's Spanish-themed with a bull and the Spanish music, and it's it just the whole thing sets a, sets a tone like you wouldn't believe. And then playing the strategy game inside of Napoleon's mind is just – it's such a twist on things. There are so many hidden gems in that game that, like you mentioned, it wasn't a huge seller, but it should have been because it was so outside of what the norm of gaming was. Well, and then they had the Milkman Conspiracy still. level, which was that, I love where that. you had so the shooter good. in the book depository. Yes. Yes, so good. Yeah, and then and then Black Velvetopia was my favorite level from that, where you had the, the boss fights for luchadors, and you went like a wrestling ring, and you fought the luchadors, <laughs> you and you talked about the Spanish ring. influence. So, yeah. I mean, as as crazy as those levels were, as good as they were, if you can believe it, the ones that I played from Psychonauts two so far, going into the minds of the people in Psychonauts two, are even above that. So I'm I'm setting aside later this evening to get into that. Finally, hopefully, there's not a Meat Circus revival though, because that level was a little rough in the original one. The the last part of it, yes, yeah. But I mean, I think I mean I. Like, I hate to talk about time, but, like, this is a game that if you're looking to get the Platinum Trophy, like, I, I said, I think someone said, estimated, if you're not trying to get all the collectibles, you can get through in 15 hours. But, I mean, like, me just playing the game now since it first came out, or since the 26th, uh, I think I bought it on Thursday. Yeah, I bought it on Thursday. Just playing hours and hours ever since. Like, it feels like this game's going to go on forever, to be honest. Like, and that is something that I, considering we don't know if we'll ever get into Psychonauts 3, this game could last for, like, 50 hours, and I'd be happy. But, like, Right, But I, I just think that this is a game that you will get your value out of. You know, people are always worried about value in, in games. And I get it. I get it. But this is a game that I will tell you, there's lots to explore. The levels are super creative. The writing is, is on point. And like, if, if I mean, you, this is double fine. You Like people, someone could put this in uh, and you could start playing it and no one would need to tell you it's a double fine game for you to know that. You know, even if you didn't know exactly. anything about Psychonauts and that's, I double fine. I, I was sad when they bought, bought my by Microsoft because yes, I'm happy that Psychonauts 2 is a game that I can still play. But going forward, 
that's probably a series of games that are going to be exclusive to Microsoft. So, I mean, a, a wise purchase, but for somebody outside, it's kind of like, oh, I love Double Fine. They're one of my favorite studios, but I mean, I, I get it. I get it. That that brings up an interesting question that I've been meaning to ask uh, Tricky or in, in the Facebook group, and I haven't. Does the PlayStation 5 have a web browser? Yes. It's very limited, though. Okay, could you do xCloud through a web browser on the PlayStation 5? Uh, I, I, I honestly, I haven't tried it, but I would assume so, yes, because there's a... The, the way that people are getting around it, because the, the browser is limited, is uh, because you have the app on your phone, the PlayStation app, that you right. send messages from. What I've seen people doing is they'll send a link through a PlayStation message. And then, you know, you go to your console, you click on that link, and you're able to get to whatever it is. Now, okay. whether or not xCloud would work, I don't know, because I, I haven't seen anybody try. Okay. Because I don't know if you guys have talked about this, but Microsoft has now announced that they are going to... that They've upgraded all of their xCloud data centers to be Series X hardware at this point. And they are adding the xCloud streaming app to cur- to Xbox One because they understand that it's very hard to get the new generation of consoles for a lot of people. So they are leaning heavily on xCloud streaming to make sure that as many people as possible can have access to the new games, which I think is, is a, it's a brilliant end run around the chip shortage and the crypto mining problems and the, the scalper problems that we're facing for people that want to build high-end gaming PCs and or get a reasonable console right now. It's been a year and it doesn't look like any of this stuff's letting up. So yeah, I get it. Microsoft bought Double Fine, and that puts a that puts a feather in their cap. But for people that don't own gaming PCs, it becomes a problem. But if you own a PC or a device that gets to the internet, there's a good chance you're going to be able to get to these titles anyways because of what Microsoft's doing to spread the love around with XCloud. Jeff, let me let me ask you a question off off that way, especially like in regards to Double Fine. Obviously, the game, Psychonauts 2, you can play it on Game Pass, which I can't convince everybody who owns a PlayStation to go out and spend, you know, 60 bucks on the game. I think the game is worth 60 bucks, but I can't really convince people to do that. If you have Game Pass and you can play it for free, you should absolutely play it. Like, stop listening now and go play it or, or listen to us while, while you're playing. But for Double Fine at this point, obviously, Game Pass is going to cut into their sales numbers a little bit. Do you think at this point, as, as a studio that's owned by Microsoft, they would just rather have people play their games or like, you know, hey, it's like, hey, it's, you know, if you have Game Pass, it's free, so just go ahead and play it. Do you think it's more important for Double Fine just to have more people play their games or to have like the sales numbers to be like, okay, this game is, I'm sure like it sucked for them to be like, this game is not, a, the first game was not a financial success. Same for Brutal Legend for, for different reasons. But like, is are the sales more important or is just people playing your game more important at this point? That's a really good question. And I don't know. Um, I have a friend who worked at Undead. Unfortunately, he moved on. He works at Facebook now, soon after Microsoft purchased them. Uh, I was hoping to have a nice conversation with my friend at Double Fine at the uh, Game Developer Conference 2022 planning retreat here next month, but we have since canceled the in-person planning retreat again because of Delta, so I won't be able to have that conversation with him uh, very easily. I'd like to know what it is to be an internal Microsoft studio 
and have Game Pass be your major distribution method. I've talked to other devs that are third party, uh, and they tell me that the revenue share from Game Pass is really admirable, like really beneficial. But what it means to be an internal studio, like if you're working on Flight Simulator or Forza Horizon or you're at Double Fine or now if you're at... Um, uh, Ninja Theory. Uh, right. Or Bethesda. What does that mean? Like, are you only... How does how does Microsoft gauge your success with... Game Pass being their distribution. Now, granted, Microsoft's all, all also very hands-off in terms of where their internal studios can sell because um, Sea of Thieves does exceedingly well on Steam. And uh, State of Decay from Undead Labs does really well on Steam. And State of Decay 2 and Sea of Thieves were Game Pass and Xbox exclusives when they first came out. But now they can sell in other markets, and they they do. So there's that. I don't know if Double Fine can immediately. I guess Double Fine already is selling in other markets because they're doing they're doing PS5 sales. So Microsoft seems to be really open about letting the studios go that route. But again, I don't know what that means at the end of the day to their profit and loss statement and how that reflects upon them to Microsoft upper management. I have no clue. That's very opaque. Yeah, it's actually important to note, like, yes, I'm playing on the PS5, but the PS, the save file is actually for the PS4, so you can get it for the PS4 or the 5. So, yeah. So, yeah, I'm just, with an internal Microsoft studio like that, like, yes, I'm assuming, like, they have meetings with, like, Tim Schafer or whoever, and, and you know, they let them know how, many, how much interest there is in the game and how well it's going, but I don't know. Would, like, since they're owned by Microsoft, I wouldn't think, like you talked about the revenue sharing with other studios, I don't think, would they ever get like any kind of like revenue or would they just be like built into like a budget that they have for the studio itself since they're owned by Microsoft? I would assume that there would be a budget from Microsoft, but there's also going to be things like generally for studios that do it, um, your bonus payout is broken into two. There's a completion bonus, which is, hey, you finished the game. Uh, and then there's a sales bonus, which is, and the sales bonus is generally going to be one that is paid out multiple times. You hit this number of sales, you hit that number of sales. So that frees it, that, that unlocks this bonus for the employees that we had set aside. And if you don't hit the sales, then the bonus just rolls over or goes back into whatever slush fund that the publisher keeps you know, for that sort of thing. So I don't know how they would be doing. It's interesting to me. I don't know how you would calculate a sales bonus off of Game Pass, but that's not my area of expertise or interest. So I haven't spent a lot of time looking into it. Yeah. I just, to to kind of finish up on Psychonauts, I, I think that, you know, we talk about creativity in the games industry and there's a ton. It's just, you play a game like Psychonauts 2 and you realize that there's just no other game like that in the way that it's built. So, like, if you have access to that game, I would definitely encourage you to play it. I don't want to go into any specifics to, like, you know, a story, thing like that, but, you know, it's just it's just a magnificent game. Like, and just uh, the amount of work that went into it and just the quality of everything about that game. Like I said, not the best platformer, but just... It's, it's kind of like an Uncharted, where, like, the story and the characters, like, you can overlook any, like, any dents in the rest of the formula because everything else is just so damn good. So, play Psychonauts. Ditto. All right. While you guys were doing that, uh, I did go to Xbox.com on my PlayStation 5 to that way I told you to. And it appears that you may actually be able to play on the cloud. 
That would be a very interesting thing. Oh, snap. Now, obviously, I haven't tried to play a game yet, but I'm to the point where I could hit the button and say, play now. But I don't know. I didn't click it because, one, I didn't want to take bandwidth away. And, two, it says it doesn't say that uh, a DualSense is a compatible controller, although it does say a DualShock 4 is a compatible controller. Something to to play around with, at least. There's a Trojan horse heading into the PlayStation 5. Yield, sir. Yeah. What have you been playing? So, uh, been playing some Rocket League for Thursdays. Uh, Played a little bit of Helldivers. And I've been playing a uh, lot of Watch Dogs. Which, if anybody out there who still has Watch Dogs... I need somebody to tail me like five times so I can get the trophy. That's the only one I'm missing. Online trophy I'm missing. I can do that for you, sir. Because it's totally random. I get hacked more than I get tailed. Uh, all right. And the only thing I've been playing all week uh, is uh, The Walking Dead, The Last Frontier. I literally just finished the third chapter before we started recording. It's good, isn't it? I don't, I don't want to go into spoilers, but... Yeah, I just finished the third chapter, and yeah, it's starting to piss me off just a little bit. Okay. Uh, That being said, we're going to go through some topics here, some things that were announced through Gamescom and whatnot. Lego Star Wars Skywalker Saga is coming in spring of 2022. Yield, I know you're looking forward to that game. God, I hope so. This will be a year that it's been pushed back. So now I need to see if I can change my pre-order from my four to my five. But, uh, yeah. Hopefully you'll be opening your five by then. Uh, I should be. All right. Uh, The next bit of news, Sifu has a February release date for PCs and consoles. Yes! February is going to be an awesome month. What What is is Sifu? Uh, Sifu is a game where you are, it's an action fighter, and every time you die, you age just a little bit. Oh, so you, wow. You get, you get stronger, more moves. Uh, coming from the article from IGN, it says, Sifu is a new martial arts game from developer Absolver. Sifu features a unique me- gameplay mechanic where each time the player dies, they will receive, they will revive as a slightly older version. In IGN's interview with the developers, the aging mechanic is a metaphor for the wisdom martial arts gain, martial artists gain with age. Of course, this is on top of the bone crushing martial arts gameplay and combat. As as someone who's in his fifties, I feel like what you're telling me is that game has built in ageism. Hey Jeff, you're in your fifties, and your reaction times are already slow enough that you can't play Call of Duty online. Here, play this martial. Oh, you died. We're gonna make you older. Oh, now your reaction times are slower and you died again. Now you're older. Uh, Jeff, we're showing you the inevitability of what's going to happen in real life. Jeff, Jeff, I couldn't play first-person shooters online in my 20s, so that's just that's just something, no matter how young you are, you just don't get sometimes. I, I don't know. This game seems... I feel insulted by this game, and I haven't played it yet. I And I have to say, uh, and the three of us all agreed, when they announced the delay on this game, it was the most unique and best way I've ever seen a release, a release date get delayed uh, because of the mechanic that every time you die you get a little older they they basically did the whole trailer of him dying and getting older and older and older and at the end of the trailer you see the, the original release date and then it dies and then the new date pops up nice so, 
Uh, also announced at Gamescom, Sifu is getting a special deluxe edition, which includes the base game, a 48-hour early access, a digital art book, and the original soundtrack from Beijing-based composer Howie Lee. Our... Uh, the next bit of news we have is Horizon Zero Dawn is getting a 4K 60 frames per second update for the PlayStation 5. This is already out. Uh, and it is free for all PlayStation 5 players. So. Uh, with that, we also got a release date for Horizon Forbidden West. Uh, during a development update at the Gamescom Opening Night Live, Horizon Forbidden West director, I can't pronounce his name, confirmed the sequel will hit the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 on February 18th of 2022. I'm going to spend a lot of money in February. Or you can just pre-order everything. Can I, Jeff, let me ask you, uh, your expertise is needed again, sir. Sony not going to E3 and just kind of, you know, going with the state of plays, but yet they, they still go to Gamescom, like, what, like, I don't know. Is that is that weird that they're choosing not to do E three, but yet still going to something like Gamescom? I don't. I don't think it is. Um, I don't know what the numbers for E three have been in the best years, but Gamescom is like we're talking six digits in terms of attendance. Like when it's an in person show, it is mind bogglingly huge. Um, I. It's a different thing. E3 traditionally was where you went to show your game for the three-month lead before the press would come out and publish about your game in a magazine. And clearly that's an unnecessary thing anymore because of the internet. Um, but E3 has tried to hold on and be kind of an, uh, a Gamescom-type show. But Gamescom, in terms of people through the door getting hands-on experience with your game, has always outshadowed E3. And I assume the same could be said for Tokyo Game Show? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, because it, it just seemed like, you know, I, that makes perfect sense, but it just kind of seems with their approach to E3 that Sony was maybe kind of pulling back a little bit from those big, you know, media, like those big, giant um, conferences and just kind of trying to be like, hey, we're going to shine the spotlight on our stuff for 30 minutes and then you can go about doing the rest of your life. Right, and I don't know the breakdown between Sony marketing in Europe and Sony marketing in America. I don't know if they're the same company or if they're two divisions. And so Sony America makes decisions for the American market. And there's a European division that makes decisions for the European market. And therefore, it's just different groups of people making different choices. There's a lot to deal with in terms of a worldwide corporation like that. And it just because one decision is made in one region doesn't mean you're going to see the same decision in another region. Fair enough. All right. And our last topic before we go into the big news of the week. What's that? What's that? What's that? Jeff, I put the story directly in for you. I broke a cardinal rule, and we're going to talk about an Xbox game. Oh, yeah. This is coming from IGN and is written by Kat Bailey. Sea of Thieves is launching a Borderlands collaboration, including a themed ship. Which looks pretty slick, by the way. I saw the picture. The event's centerpiece is a special mayhem ship inspired by Borderlands. Basically, it's a pirate ship cast in Borderlands rusty red and yellow with the familiar logo on the sails. It's not the most obvious collaboration given that Borderlands' brand of post-apocalyptic sci-fi is the 
diametric opposite of CFD's Pirate Fantasy, but they have a similar sense of humor, so the two might not be as far removed as one might suppose. In the event, CFD's has pl- found plenty of success with collaborations of late, particularly its Pirates of the Caribbean event featuring Jack Sparrow, not Johnny Depp. We'll see if it can replicate that success when the Mayhem event, which runs from August 24th to September 7th. Finished it with my crew in under 45 minutes. Um, it's... That is an efficient crew right there. Oh, yeah. Uh, just just load up on Order of Souls missions and go kill skeletons, and you'll run through the Mayhem level pretty quickly. Um, it's the first... It's not the first time they've done a ship livery set of another game. It's the first time that they're doing a ship livery set of a non-Microsoft game, which is an... Ah! Okay. Um, and there's a there's a really good article on... It's either Destructoid or Kotaku, which is the whole thrust of the article is, if I ever see you wearing this ship livery, I have to destroy you. And I agree with that. Um about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, every every player in the game got a free Halo-themed ship livery. And if I see you sailing around with the Halo livery, I will stop whatever I'm doing and I will go sink you. Um, it's just a trigger event for me. And I can understand why the Borderlands one would be a trigger event for someone else. It's a nice ship livery. It's nowhere near the best in the game. Uh, I would argue that the... Ship livery to commemorate Rare's Viva Pinata is probably the most elaborate ship livery set in the game. There's Viva Pinata, there's Ratchet, or, I'm sorry, there's Conquer's Bad Fur Day, there's Banjo Kazooie, there's Killer Instinct, there's Alpha Wolf, which is like a really old Rare game from the Spectrum computer. Um, there's Halo, there's State of Decay, and now there's Borderlands. And of those eight that I can name, and there may be a ninth one that I'm missing, uh, Borderlands is the only one that is neither a Rare or a Microsoft title, which all Rare titles would be Microsoft titles now. Anyway. It, it, whenever you talk about Sea of Thieves, Jeff, it's always very in a very positive light, and it seems like that game has done well. And like I like to hear that because Rare, growing up with playing Rare games, I like they were one of my favorite studios and it seems like much of their time under Microsoft has just been them kind of languishing like Viva Pinata you mentioned I think it was on the was it the original Xbox or 360 It was a 360 That's a game that I always wanted to play but it's great it's it's one of, they're one of those game studios that I feel like you know they everyone talks about their stuff they did on the 64 and then you know Donkey Kong Country but it feels like since they've been under the Microsoft banner they haven't done as well as they could have but maybe like Sea of Thieves is kind of like a change to that. I I think so. I I would argue they have done okay under the Microsoft banner. Uh, I I forgot to mention there is a perfect dark livery. That's the ninth one I was I was missing. Um, Viva Pinata and the sequel to Viva Pinata were outstanding products, and they're on. For <clears throat> if you have Game Pass, these are all on Game Pass. Um, yeah, um, Banjo Kazooie, nuts and bolts. Or whatever the one was where you built the vehicles, that wasn't uh, that wasn't stellar. But Viva Pinata was outstanding. Um, they are working. There is a team. I think this has been announced. Um, there is somebody is out there pinging away on a perfect dark game. Um, let me check on that. I'm pretty sure that's been announced. Um, but 
Sea of Thieves is such a different hit for them because it's a game as a service, which Rare had never done before. And as someone who's worked in MMOs, it's interesting to see them run up against some of the common issues, but they're really quick to address them. And they have definitely put a really good long-term content team on this game because Rare is also working on, they've announced like two years ago, they announced that they were working on another product and that one has now been delayed. But through all of that, Sea of Thieves is constantly being getting updates and getting changes. And now they have the seasons, which is a, a very amenable thing to a game as a service. And they've done the collaboration with Disney. And if, for people that understand who owns what, Disney owns Lucas, which means that Disney owns two pirate IPs. They own Pirates of the Caribbean and a little thing called Secret of Monkey Island. And it's already been written about on the internet, so I'm not giving any spoilers away. But if you do certain things um, in one of the Pirates of the Caribbean tall tales, uh, there are some Monkey Island hints that are very well just presented to you about Guybrush Threepwood and Governor Marley poss possibly making it to the Sea of Thieves. So there's some hints about a deeper relationship with Rare and Disney that have already happened, which is, is really exciting to me because I'm a massive Lucas Games fan. I'm a massive point-and-click adventure fan from the day, and I'm a gigantic Monkey Island fan. So that was exciting to uncover. Another, um, another Tim Schafer joint there. Another Tim Schafer joint there. And Rare has uh, the executive producer and the the designer on the game who are both very open and Twitter about what they're doing are outstanding. And I think that they've hit it out of the ballpark with Sea of Thieves. I've been playing it for three years and I still put in a few hours a week with my crew. And it just is one of those fun games where you just have to get in there and make your own adventure. They give you all the pieces you need, but you just get in there and and just go be a pirate. And it's so exciting and relaxing all at the same time. It is one of my all-time favorite games from the whole time I've been making them. Jeff, if you were a betting man, this is a personal question for me, because uh, I love Banjo-Kazooie. What Do you think Rare's ever just going to say, you know, we tried Nuts and Bolts, that was new, whatever. Fuck it, we're going to make Banjo-Kazooie 3. Are there any any chance that's going to happen? Because, I mean, they have to love that that IP. I, I absolutely believe they love that IP. I do know that Microsoft has told them, and they've been public about this, that it's up to them if they want to do another Conquers. So Microsoft isn't putting any limits on them on that level, so I couldn't imagine they would put any limits on them on the Banjo-Kazooie level. Because, I mean, obviously Microsoft allowed Banjo and Kazooie to go into Super Smash Brothers, and people love that shit. So there, right. there's got to be an audience there still for that game series. I would think so. I think the nuts and bolts was a little far-fetched. I think what people wanted was another traditional platformer in in the range of a Banjo-Kazooie um, or the some of the team that originally did that one did one recently, and I forgot what the name. They did it on the Switch, and I forgot what the name of it was. It's uh, oh, um, Ukulele. Ukulele. Yes. I think, more, I think people wanted more of a Ukulele than whatever nuts and bolts was. All right, Tricky, I'm done pestering Jeff with questions. No, no, I, I, I just didn't want to uh, interrupt any conversation. All right, so we're going to move on to our topic of the week, which actually includes a lot of questions. So 
Yield, you know what happens when we get a lot of questions, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, do you know? Uh, we skip most of them. Negative. We do every other one. We play the greatest sound bit ever played on a Trophy Horse episode. Time to check my social media, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Somebody say something. All right. So last week, Jeff, we our topic of the week was um, now I'm going to forget his name. Sean Layden. Yes, Sean Layden. Jordan Layden uh, came out and did an interview where he said that Game Pass is not, uh, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be successful unless they reach fifty million subscribers. No, he said five hundred million. Five hundred oh, million. Five hundred million. I apologize. I, I was lowballing it. Uh, so that posed the question a lot in our community: uh, Is Game Pass good for the developers or the publishers or whatnot? And you kind of got upset because we kind of like talked about this on the Facebook page already. Yeah, you kind of ruined my question, non-surprise related. Uh, but with that being said, I, I, I know you made some comments on our Facebook page and you have a little bit of knowledge being that you have Game Pass. Uh, since you are both on the consumer side and the, the developer publisher side, what are your overall impressions of Game Pass? Like, is it good for the industry or is it... You know, was Sean Layton just totally off base of what he said? Well, I, I need to look up who he is, but let's let's put it into a little bit of perspective. Five hundred million is one and a half times the population of the United States. So he's saying that for Game Pass to be successful, we would have to have every man, woman, child in the United States playing on Game Pass, and then find another two hundred million people elsewhere. And I don't, I, I don't believe that math is correct. You, that would, I mean, that would mean that any streaming service would need those types of numbers. And Netflix is super successful and they don't have 500 million subscribers, do they? They might. But I don't believe, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not a numbers guy, so I'm going to back off a little bit of that, but that number seems kind of extraordinary to me. Uh, I do know devs that I've spoken to, and this is anecdotal that have always been positive about the revenue share from Game Pass. Now, if that's Microsoft dumping a bunch of money into Game Pass to grow it, and therefore the revenue share is good, okay. I mean, all all businesses like this at some point spend more money than they make early on to get established. That's why we have angel investors. That's why we have venture capital. That's why we do A rounds, B rounds, and C rounds of funding. It takes It takes time and money to get these things going. Does that mean that the second it becomes profitable, that Microsoft's going to cut the revenue share? I don't think so. Um, I think that they're doing great things with it because they are breaking the bounds of the console to get the games in front of more people. You know, because you can play on the PC, you can play on your Android phone, you can play on your Apple phone, you can play on a web browser now. So any device that hosts a web browser and can stream has enough bandwidth to stream video can play a game on xCloud. And that's huge. That's breaking a lot of barriers. Uh, I think it's a positive thing. I honestly do. And I am, I'm kind of surprised Microsoft got there first because Sony has owned Gaikai for a lot longer than Microsoft has been working on Game Pass and xCloud. Uh, Jeff, I want to, you mentioned uh, Netflix. Just to give you some perspective, Netflix has uh, the Hollywood Reporter in, in July, the 20th of July, said they had 209 million subscribers. So, 
nowhere near 500 million. Uh, and I kind of scoff. We talked about this last week, and I scoffed at that number too. I do, like Microsoft for them because they obviously have Xbox uh, Gold, so they have a subscription service just besides Game Pass. As long as like Game Pass may never ever need to be profitable, as long as their overriding system where they have 90 plus million subscribers already is profitable and can make up for any losses that might be incurred through Game Pass, correct? Right. And they could, I mean, for all we know, Microsoft, and again, this is highly speculative, this is just conjecture, Microsoft may be funneling some percentage of every Windows 10 license to an OEM into Game Pass because they assume that player that, that, that computer is now a viable Game Pass machine. Right. So there's there's I mean, Microsoft's gigantic and they make a they make more money than we can really ever probably comprehend. So they've got a lot of ways that they could do this and it would never necessarily affect their bottom line negatively. Um, I'm now I'm not saying I know any of it. And like I said, I have no idea if they allocate any money from Windows licensing to fund Game Pass. But clearly they they you know that they have a room full of accountants that have done the math on this thing. And they, they have a trajectory that they need to match for this thing to be viable. And for the fact that it's our, it's it's growing and they're adding more things and they're expanding to... I mean, they went from beta website to everybody have access to the website very quickly for something like that. They're clearly hitting some, some level of target. And they're, they seem to be very happy with it. And they're making developers happy with it. So overall, to me, that's a positive for the industry. Yeah, I mean, I think that you look at... like It's kind of... In video, like before video games, like with music and movies and TV, we've seen stuff like Netflix. We've seen stuff like Spotify, which for the consumer is fantastic. You know, obviously Game Pass is something that's fantastic for the consumer where you can, you know, basically subscribe. Like it's a lot of these companies, like it's not just like, hey, we want to sell you this game for 60 bucks. It's like, or this movie for 30 bucks. They're like, they want your loyalty. They want your money continuously. So they want, they're trying to get your loyalty via subscription service rather than just try to sell you this thing and then this thing and this thing. The only thing that I would say could potentially someone would say, okay, this is kind of a concern with these services is that I feel like when you can get so much for, you know, a, like a small monthly fee, and again, like Game Pass is great and like it's kind of where we're just going as a society, do you think it kind of recenters what people see as the value that they're willing to pay for a movie or for a game or something? Because like with Spotify, you know, is anyone going to go buy a CD anymore or, you know, go buy music anymore? If they can just like pay a subscription to Spotify or is somebody going to, you know, no one's going to go buy the Friends DVD television set when they can watch it on, say, like a streaming service. So do you think in that regard, like we recenter what we're willing to pay for media in general through these subscription services? Absolutely. Um, I was not going to go to a theater to see Black Widow. I also was not going to pay, what was it, $30 on Disney Plus to watch Black, Black Widow by myself. But the chance I had to watch Black Widow with even one friend, I willingly put the $30 down because $30 is at worst equivalent to what we would have paid to go see it in the theater with snacks and everything. The interesting thing with Netflix and you know Amazon Prime and Spotify and all of those for streaming stuff that existed before those services came online is they were putting a streaming mechanism on top of a distribution mechanism that predated streaming. And so all of those contracts for residuals are all based on 
airplay or the number of reruns that have been broadcast and this and that. So retrofitting that business model on those, I'm sure, was not easy and probably has a lot of weird edge cases for accountants that we can't even begin to like wrap our heads around, nor do I think I'd want to. But with Game Pass, games don't have a residual type of system. They do in certain instances for like music licensing. But again, that's going back to this old per play type of problem that you have to sort of latch on and bring forward into this. Game Pass represents the idea of paying for a value that is a new value that doesn't isn't beholden to those old types of contract negotiations. And so while it probably does reduce what we as consumers are willing to consider for purchase, um I hope it also acts as an aggregator because just like Netflix and just like Amazon Prime, the only games that are on Game Pass in perpetuity are Microsoft games. The other games come through on a rotating, well, not necessarily rotating, but on a preset schedule for a preset amount of time. Like the Ascent is on Game Pass right now. It probably won't be on Game Pass forever. Which means that if I want to continue playing the Ascent, I have to then consider putting my thirty, forty, fifty, sixty dollars down on buying a copy of the Ascent. Um, but Psychonauts Two, as long as I pay my Game Pass subscription, I will have access to Psychonauts Two and Psychonauts One and all of Double Fine's back catalog and all of Bethesda's back and future catalog and all of Rare's back and future catalog. And when you start to look at just the tentpole Microsoft Studios having access to all of that stuff in perpetuity, $15 a month just for that library alone makes the, from a consumer standpoint, to me, makes it a no-brainer. And, like, I mean, you can throw out numbers about, oh, they need this many subscribers to be successful, blah, blah, blah. But in, in reality, Game Pass is kind of a marketing tool in and of itself because, like, word of mouth, like, people talking, oh, hey, get this, get this, like, because it's such a good deal, this could be your window in. So it's it's almost like it's, like, it's marketing. It it is, and I know what like we're we're approaching, and we've already probably crossed in some instances the eighty dollar price point for a package good for a game. Um, and I remember when PlayStation Five came out, and Sony was recommending that you know games be this price. Now a lot of people were like, "Oh, um, the sixty dollar price point on games goes back to the Nintendo sixty four. We've been at sixty dollars package good." for a game for over two decades. It probably should have increased in smaller increments over time, but the complexity that goes into the game, the number of people required to make one, the voice talent, the motion capture talent, the engine licensing, all of those prices have increased, not necessarily just because of a dollar increase, but the amount of content that we have to put into a game to keep up with the fidelity that people are looking for these days. It costs a crap ton of money to make a game. And so, of course, the value of the package, I'm sorry, the, the sale price of the package good is going to go up to cover those costs. Whereas Game Pass may represent a new idea to how to fund these bigger games without the sticker shock of people going, I'm not going to drop $80 for a 40-hour game. But I might drop $15 a month to have access for that 40-hour game that it might now take me half a year to complete because I can sample a bunch of other things. So I'm spreading my value out across more games. All right. just uh, I linked you to the article, Jeff, but just to give you uh, three paragraphs from the article – 
Uh, it says in the latest interview with GamesIndustry.biz, latent details was an obvious point that doesn't get talked about too often. Quote, it's very hard to launch a $120 million game on subscription service charging $9.99 a month. When you pencil it out, you're going to have to have 500 million subscribers before you start to recoup your investment. And that's the end of the quote. It says, when you consider the number of people who own game consoles today is around 250 million, if Layden is correct, Microsoft would need to double it in order to make Xbox Game Pass a viable business venture and not just double it, but have every one of those 500 million people subscribing to play games through its services. And then he goes on to say, quote, people don't buy consoles because they want more steel and plastic in the living room. People buy consoles because they want access to the content. If you could find a way to get the content into people's homes without a box, then yes, indeed, everyone has a streaming solution of some form, but most of it's limited by whether you have a decent internet connection and they haven't constructed a business model that works for that yet, end quote. So, that's what Layden had to say about the uh, Game Pass. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily disagree. I think 990 dollars is a lowball number. I don't even think Game Pass is nine nine. I mean, ever if you do Game Pass, you do Game Pass Ultimate, and you're paying fifteen a month, so that's already a fifty percent over his value. Um, but I don't know. Other than the Microsoft titles, there aren't any titles on Game Pass that are streaming service only, and so that completely changes the calculus of what he's presenting there. Um, there's no third party game that I know of that is Game Pass exclusive. And so Microsoft, I'm sure, in their first-party titles, has done the math as to whether or not they want the game to be profitable or, like you said, they want it to be used as advertising and marketing to get more people on Game Pass. Even, well, I mean, even first-party stuff. Psychonauts 2 is not streaming exclusive on Game Pass. So it, the, the math on this is doesn't add up for that one. All the Bethesda titles are still available elsewhere. And Microsoft has said that they will allow Bethesda to, on a case-by-case basis, determine if their future titles are going to be exclusive or not. Yes, Microsoft Flight Simulator is exclusive, but it's kind of in the name. Um, You can still play the rare games on older platforms, right? You can still go out and buy those collections and those cartridges. So this, for me, kind of falls apart on the assumption that all of the games are going to be streaming service only. They're not. Very few of them actually are. All right, let's move on to our other questions here. Yield, do you want to start us off since you are the first person to uh, leave a comment? So, uh, a lot of people have said since the, well, why everybody knows. Since the first trailer or announcement trailer dropped, everybody's saying it's a reboot. And even the thing that the video that you posted on there, the voice act, actor for the boss, or actress, did they correctly? For the boss says that it's a reboot. I got more of an origins vibe. So, can you elaborate on is it one, the other, or both? Uh, Bryce Charles spoke correctly. It is a reboot. Um, when you narratively explode the planet, you've kind of backed yourself into a corner, uh, and so you have to make some 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 ideas to get that to work again. And so it is a saint story. It is in a new city. Um, it is its own story. And that's what I can say on that. All right. So before we get 
further deeper into these questions, uh, Jeff, you want to make a little disclaimer as far as uh, you know, as as far as the answers to these questions. Right. Okay. Uh, I am not a public relations representative for Volition Deep Silver or. Uh, Nordic Games slash Embracer Group. I am a developer working on Saints Row who works for Volition. As such, I can talk about what you have seen. I can talk about what we have already announced. I cannot go beyond those bounds. Um, this is, if you're new to the podcast or you haven't heard me on the podcast before, these are rules that I have stated and uh, Tricky and the crew have been perfect in staying within those bounds. So if you've tuned in to expect me to drop some knowledge that didn't come out of the Gamescom cinematic trailer or the Vision trailer that we released two days after that, or the dev chat that we had after Gamescom, although I didn't, I don't know all the details of the dev chat, so I'm going to try and stay away from some of those questions. Um, I am not presenting any new information here. You're not going to go, wow, on Sunday night I learned this other brand new thing about Saints Row. That's not, that's not what this is about. Right. We, we, why, when you, uh, when I knew this was getting announced, I reached out and said, Hey, I want you on this show because I know a lot of our community, including all, all three of us, are big fans of the series. And I know a lot of people are fans of the series. Uh, you actually gained a follower of the series, uh, in Levi, who has a question later, uh, just because of uh, you being on the show. And, you know, you know, we, we say this on the show and off the show to you all the time. It's like, we, greatly appreciate when you're on the show and be able to talk to us and give us the inside information. And most times, even like on this show, we just shut up and let you talk because the, the amount of knowledge you come with is invaluable to us. So, all right. So our first question is coming from Gareth Davis. He says the Saints Row series evolved with each installment to become more and more over the top, presumably uh, to differ the differentiate, differentiate. Thank you. From the uh, Grand Theft Auto series, is this new game likely to tone down the extravagant nature of the series had become? In the first 30 to 45 seconds of the cinematic trailer, you see a fiberglass dinosaur that says, Tacos are us on the side, which, if you also read correctly, is Tacosaurus. Uh, after that, you see a taco truck named Chalupacabra. The boss character in the Vision trailer, or I'm sorry, Nina in the Vision trailer, looks at a keychain of a bobblehead, and later on in the trailer, you understand that she has this ridiculous idea to drive her escape car on the roof of a building so that she can do a bootlegger turn to knock the gigantic neon Marshall bobblehead off of the building to smash the car that's chasing them. If you can't extrapolate from that, that we have maintained our humor and over-the-top nature of the game, I don't know what else I can do to tell you that we, we know where our bread's buttered. I also saw in one of the trailers, at one of the enemy camps, I can't remember, uh, it's the one, the techno group. Uh, the one oh, the idols. Had, yeah. The, I saw one of their members on a motorcycle riding down the back of a dinosaur exhibit yeah. at, at at a museum so i mean a, again like a fair question you know with a reboot or like how are we recentering the series but like from the trailers like i think that we we can agree that the, the charm and, and basically what like like with psychonauts the charm that made psychonauts psychonauts is still in psychonauts too even though this is a reboot like volition knows that what they need to do and what people expect out of a saints row game so you can't just change everything no no 
All right. Robert Workman says, is it me or does this game have a hint of total overdose goodness? I noticed the Chili Con Carnage reference in the trailer. Does he say Chili Con Carnage or Chili Con Carne? I thought he said Chili Con Carne. I think he says Chili Con Carne because his character's backstory is he wants to be a TV chef. Now, granted, yeah. it gets a little muted because he puts on his idol helmet uh, and he takes off on his motorcycle. But I'm pretty positive he says Chili Con Carne. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what total overdose is. We looked it up before the show started. I guess it's an open world uh, gunslinger type of game. I need to dive into it and give it a check because if it is, I'm highly interested. But I, I, I don't. I've never heard of it before, so I can't say whether or not it is an influence. But I don't think it's an influence in that specific line. All right, Matthew Malden says, "Will we get special appearances from Professor Genki?" I can neither confirm nor deny whether Professor Genki exists in the upcoming Saints Row. Okay. Uh, he says, also the question everyone is wondering, will the Bill Bat dildo bat be available? Uh, you can still find them on eBay occasionally. The press that we sent them to, every now and then people clean them out and they put them up for used sales. I love that answer. <laughs> I love that answer. Brilliant! Bravo, Jeff! Bravo! Uh, Joseph Priestley says, does this Saints have a more realistic tone, or will it still be the same over the top? I mean, I guess you kind of addressed this already. And then followed up by uh, Trophy Horse favorite, Donnie, says, if it does go more serious route, I hope it doesn't go too serious, like, not at all. So is he saying that nothingness is the most seriousness we can have? Ooh, that's deep. This is like sake sipping deep right here. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, the Brain76 says, he actually has four questions for you, Jeff. Uh, he says, one, how many different hit someone in the nuts animations will there be? Never enough. Amen to that. Uh, two, are they bringing back the sewage truck missions? I do not know, honestly. God, I hope so. Three, for the love of God, can we have things like singing with the radio back to be more organic and not something that only happens during scripted sequences. Whatever you do on your own time during scripted cinematic sequences, I have no control over. If you would like to sing along in a more organic manner at that time, please do. (laughs) I hear you laughing, Neil. (laughs) Because those are brilliant answers. And for how has the Saints Row series made so many missteps that irritate the hell out of me and yet still be one of my favorite all-time favorites? It's actually written in the design documents uh, that we have to make at least three, but no more than five missteps relative to this one player in every release. And Levi uh, gives, I guess, one of the most important questions. Jeff, would it be acceptable to make this new game my first experience with the Saints Row series? It would, but I would also like to point out that your first experience with Saints Row should probably right now be the Saints Row the Third Remaster that is free on Epic Game Store. You can play that until you get to this one in February. Um, 3, 4, and Get Out of Hell have an kind of an overarching narrative, but I would still say you could play any of those independently of each other. But one, two, you can really hop in. It, it's Think of them like Fast and Furious movies. You don't go into Fast and Furious 8 thinking, wow, I skipped two, so therefore I'm not going to understand what's going on. They're not, they're not that narratively deep. 
All right. At this point, I'm going to open up the floor to Alex and Yield, who may have questions for you as well. Alex, do you have any questions? Yeah, I mean, just one of the questions I thought about, and you you touched on this a little bit earlier, but so with Saints Row series, obviously there is story involved. You guys do put time and effort into the characters, but gameplay is king. You know, I mean, you talked about it, you know, just a moment ago where there's kind of an overarching narrative during some of them, but, you know, you told Levi that this would be perfectly fine if this was just kind of the first interest into the series. So with, you know, gameplay being the main thing, as it always should be in a sandbox game, like, I, w- I was just going to ask, like, what's the need for a reboot, but you may, it's just because you blew up the Earth? Uh, well, we we blew up the Earth. We've kind of told those stories of those characters, and it was just, it, it was a good, and as we talk about in the Vision trailer, not only have we told the story of those saints, but Honestly, the DNA of Volition has changed in those eight years. We have a lot of new employees that have not worked on the game before. We have very senior employees that have moved on to other things. And so it was a good time to just sort of go to the studio and say, what's the game we want to make? What what do we want to do? What stories do we want to tell? Where are our strengths? Where are our weaknesses? Because everything has changed. Um, and so this was the path that we decided to take. And if I, in, in my personal opinion, it was 100% the right path to take. And everyone is very involved. Everyone is very behind it. Everyone's very engaged. And I think that we're probably doing some of the best work I've seen out of that studio in these 16 years I've been there. I mean, I, I love the setting for the new game, just out in the Wild West. Like, I, I think that's super cool, like all the, the neon and stuff. And you know, not to say, you know, like, just an open world game and, like, a sandbox game inside of City is, I mean, it's tried and true, but just, like, being out in the desert, like, that's, that for me, that's a far more interesting setting for the game to be in. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's far different than anything else you guys have done in Saints Row before. Very much so. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the technology we have and and what we were tr- what we were willing to tackle. I mean, Saints Row 1 and 2... Keep in mind, those things came out on the 360, and it was very resource-constrained. And so doing wide vistas and and expansive terrain other than a highly urban skyscrapered area was going to be a huge challenge. And so you, the game is always a reflection not only of what the people are interested in doing, but also in what the level of technology allows. And these new consoles and modern gaming PCs allow a lot more than even what we could do a decade and a half ago. A lot more. I've seen actual picture, pictures of the desert in a lot of these trailers you guys have released so far. Did you actually send employees out to the desert? I don't know if we did or not um keep in mind a lot of this game is de- has been developed with us all working from home i've been work from home now for 18 months and there the number of people in the studio has has grown a little bit but for a while we only had like rotating it staff in the studio and we are all remote and travel. If we all know travel the past 18 months has been a real problem. Uh, I don't know. We may have contracted with somebody to get, I mean, a lot of those shots you see also, you don't need to send somebody out to the desert to get them because you can go to a stock photo site and pull that stuff up. So I can't speak specifically where we got the source material, but it's not like we're just assuming what the Southwest looks like. We definitely have access to source material. 
Yeah, because I, w- I was watching the trailer. I was like, man, this this is a really lifelike de- depiction of the Southwest. And it's like, oh, wait a minute, sexual pictures of the Southwest. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you had me for a moment there, Jeff. Uh, we're, we, we try. We try. So you mentioned your work, you've all been working from home the last 18 mm-hmm. months. Has that been... And I mean, I'm sure it's been an extra challenge, but has there been any like major hiccups on top of the, you know, you can't just walk over to the, your buddy's office and go, yeah, you know what? I'm thinking about this or let's do this. Has that made it more difficult on the development process? I, I can't speak for everybody. I know there have been problems. It would be naive to say that there haven't been problems, but I think that we have worked very hard to remove a lot of them. Um, the number of, we use Microsoft Teams and the number of various Teams channels, not just for the various disciplines like user interface, technical art programmers, writers, designers like that, but just the number of various Teams channels that are out there to discuss different aspects of the game. And there are no gates between which employees can go into these. And so we've, we've tried to facilitate speaking in the virtual as easy as it would be to speak in reality. And in, in, you're right. The hallway discussions are, are very integral. A lot of the funny weaponry that was mentioned in one of the questions from Saints Row the Third, a lot of that came out of just random hallway discussions and why shouldn't we sort of things. And so I think we've done a really good job at capturing that. Uh, for me, it's been very hard to do the support side of being a technical artist because you can't just walk over to an artist's desk and watch them do something and see where the problem might be occurring. So there's a lot of screen sharing. Uh, there's a lot of screen casting. There's a lot more detail written into support emails now, which is super helpful. Um, but on the plus side, it also is more of, I am, I am more available at wider ranges of the day. Even if I'm not working, I have the support team's channel on my phone. And if something horrendous is going on, then I can just remote in and we can see what's going on. Um, That's not to say that we're all working 24-7. We're not. Uh, Volition's very good about work-life balance. But it's it's definitely a different way of doing things. Um, But I do know early on, like when we first went remote March 2020, our productivity went up for it hasn't dropped, but our productivity went up from what it was in the office and there it ebbs and flows over time, but we are definitely keeping on the schedule. There have been no major slippages because of distance. That's awesome to hear. And it's, it's kind of in our nature and we had the ability to go to remote very quickly because our outsourcing ethos has always been, Wherever they are and whichever outsourcing companies we work with, they are part of our team. And so we don't throw a bunch of paperwork at a company half a world away and say, hey, make all this stuff and send it to us and then have a team at Volition go over all that work and make sure it works in the game. We have that company wherever they are right on our source control database, right on our game asset database, using the same tools on a daily basis that our employees are using on a daily basis. And so it literally is them practically remoting into our system. And so to take that from 
outsourcers do it to everybody does it was a very easy step for us to take. And so it's really ingrained in, in how we built our technology and how we work to have this actually, this transition just kind of be there and something that we all dove into. All right. So, Jeff, I, I mean, you talk about uh, working remotely. I, one of the things leading up to the Saints Row announcement was there was virtually no leaks. I mean, we knew that Volition was working on a Saints Row game, but we had no details until we actually saw the trailer. So would you contribute the fact uh, that there was no leaks? Uh, is that is it better that you're working from home that you you know you were able to keep the leaks in and keep all this information within the studio? I, I don't know. I mean, you've known me for what probably a decade now, and you know I don't I don't leak. Now, granted, I'm getting older, and so I have to buy those certain the certain underwear for older people because I am going to start to leak at some point. But um, <laughs> I don't, and I Volition has a lot of very dedicated people, and. I would like to think that it is just in our nature not to do that. I have to say bravo on that, by the way. I mean, I mean, really, because in, in a day and age where everything gets leaked, uh, you know, a few weeks or a month before they were going to tell everybody, this was truly a surprise. I'm I'm happy to hear that. I'm going to share that with the team because that's that's what we want, right? Well, like Tricky said, uh, other than the fact that we knew one was coming, nobody knew when it was coming. So all of a sudden, you roll into next week, and it's like, hey, or it was, what, it was like a day before, hey, look what's coming tomorrow. And it's like, what? You know? And, and then we so drop February I, on a sales date for you. Yeah, and then at the end of the trailer, you're like, oh, and you're going to get it February. It's like, Holy cow, they're farther along than what you even thought. Well, so, I mean, he, I even if we knew Saints Row was coming, we couldn't expect where they would take the series, which they've revealed, or the fact that it would be a reboot. So, I mean, there were lots of surprises in there. It's like, it's kind of like, yeah, you know it's coming, but we're going to still drop some bombshells on you. Um, Jeff, let me ask you, you guys, like, and this is more about the Saints Row series overall, you guys have always kind of, I hate to say played within GTA Sandbox, because it's not like, you know, Grand Theft Auto owns everything, but just it's just such a huge, of that style of game, it's just such a huge monster. And I don't want to just create everything to, to, to the, you know, the overtopness and the comedy in Saints Row. Like, how have you all been able to be as successful as you, as, as you have been with Saints Row? It's a hugely successful game series, while still being that close to, like, a GTA game, or in that world. See, I would, I would say, up to Saints Row Three and Grand Theft Auto Four, there was a lot of there was a lot of similarities. We we found our path with Saints Row the Third with humor, and Rockstar has found their path with Five and and Five as a service with a hyper realistic more crime cinema focus. And so I would I would argue that for the past eight plus years, those games have only shared basic similarities that they share with all open world games. A, a, a streaming world where you can go anywhere and do what you want. You can use vehicles. You can customize your... Although I, customizing is actually more of an us than a them thing anymore. 
I guess um, I don't know that. I guess you can in GTA Online, but the three characters that you played in the story mode of Grand Theft Auto V were pretty locked in their appearances because of the story they wanted to tell. And that's fine. But customization, open world, uh, large numbers of weapons, vehicles, this is the DNA of any number of open world games. I mean, you're playing Watchdog. I don't know about customization in Watchdog, but it has a lot of the same DNA being an open world game. Yeah. And so, yes, we'll probably always be in that GTA shadow because of the era when Saints Row 1 and Saints Row 2 came out and they were very similar to the GTAs of the time. But I think we've, we're, we're highly divergent at this point. Do you guys take any, not just from games, but do you guys take any inspiration, not just for uh, Saint, the new Saints Row, but any of them from like movies or music or anything? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in any developer, you're going to see things called vision boards, which are here. Here are the other areas of media that have the tone that we want. And you see it, you see it circle back. I've heard Saints Row be used as inputs for other movies. Um, uh, the A-Team movie, any of the Fast and Furious movies, uh, a lot of different music. These are definitely things that are going to show up on vision boards for us because tonally we share a lot with those things. We, we, we do it in our own way and we tell a different story, but I mean, how you can't, you can't say something is in media is over the top without jumping too fast and furious. You just can't because that that stuff is way over the top. I don't know if anyone has seen at Fast 9, but when you bootlegger turn a multi-segmented semi to whip the end of it off of a cliff to take out a drone that's flying by, it's you can't say that's not over the top, right? And so we are absolutely going to draw influences from that stuff. It would be it would be naive of us to try to do these things without looking at what other people have done, because all progress is made by standing on the shoulders of those that have come before you. Any personal influences from media that you've used or inserted into games or like at least brought up? Uh, I've brought up some things. I, it's, I, I haven't done a lot of that on this project. I've been very focused on... Uh, I've been working mostly with the vehicle team and modernizing some of the vehicle pipelines. So that's where I've, I've been... I've been writing more tools code and doing more support for that than having any ability to affect, you know, like, hey, wouldn't this be interesting to type of do stuff? And at the end of the day, especially with work remote, you have to trust all of the other people you're working with. Everybody has their skills. We have excellent story writers. We have excellent mission designers. They, we have, we have an outstanding creative director. Um, they know what the game series is. They know what this game is. They know where the humor is. They are more in tune with those characters than I ever would be during development. Um, and so they are far better suited to deliver the humor and the over-the-topness and the gameplay that players are looking for than I ever would be. My job is to facilitate the content creators to make all the content to support that. You know, I'm, I'm not a question, but I'm just throwing this out there. If you guys wanted to do some DLC for this game, uh, I think you guys could really do a good From Dust Till Dawn style episode for Out in the, out in the Wild West. Just, just going to throw that out there. 
Okay. Uh, it, consider it thrown. If you do do that, we need some hike to go. Of course you go that direction, Tricky. I I don't know how well known this story is, but we it's it's all pretty automated now because of AI, but we used to just ha- when I actually I did some for this game, so we still do it at a certain level. When we're in early development and we're doing like cinematics and various other things, we'll just haul people from their desk into the sound booth and have them record lines just to get, just to get the, the early version of the cinematic timed out. Right. Right. Um, Saints row the third, uh, one of the, one of the bad guys has a French accent. And one of his great lines is people keep calling him French and he, he has to bellow at them that he's Belgian. Um, all, all of his lines in pre-production were recorded by the creative director on the game, uh, a wonderful human being named Jacques Hennequit, and he's French. And his lines and his delivery were so good that the company paid to get him his Screen Actors Guild membership so that we could just use his lines in the final game, and that's what you hear, is literally the creative director on the game is voicing that villain. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so there are a lot of rules in the industry about who can and can't and what credentials you have to have to do voice work. That's your random game developer trivia of the evening. Listen, if you can get Burt Reynolds, you can definitely get Selma Hayek. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Yield, do you have any other questions? Uh, not at the moment. All right, Alex? I think I'm I'm fresh out. Is this coming to uh, the PS4, the Xbox One, and the new gen? Or is it is this complete? No, this is, as far as I know, this is Gen 8 and Gen 9. Okay. Let me, let me check right. real quick. With that being said, <laughs> with that being said, let's close out the show with some shout-outs. Yield, why don't you start us off, sir? Uh, as always, uh, a shout-out to Jeff for coming on and dropping the knowledge. Uh, shout-out to the listeners, the Hordum. Shout out to Tricky and Alex for recording tonight, and I think that'll do it. Do it for me this week. Give a shout out to the fans, the listeners, the fuel to the fire that is Trippy Horse. Thank you all for your for your continued support. Because without you guys, we would not be sitting here talking to Jeff. We wouldn't have a show. So you guys are really the backbone. So thank you all very much for supporting us in whatever way that you choose to support us. Give a shout out to to, to Yield and Tricky, but a big shout out to Jeff. Jeff, not only for dropping some knowledge about the new Saints Row game, for being incredibly funny, but also for his shared love of Psychonauts. Jeff, I love to hear that. It's it's such a good game. And again, we appreciate all the knowledge you bring because, you know, we're just three jackasses commenting on the video games industry, but you actually bring the knowledge. We're speculation. You're just bringing the knowledge. So thank you for, you know, spending your free time or part of your free time here with us. Uh, It's always much, much appreciated. Anytime. Uh, gonna, last but not least, I want to give a shout out to my loving and awesome girlfriend, Ashley. Uh, I love you, honey. Um, and yeah, that's going to be the end of my shout outs. Jeff, sound like you were. I was going to give my sh- I'm going to give my shout out to doctors, nurses, and first responders. What we're living through right now is ridiculous, and they're on the front line of all of it. And I can't even begin to comprehend the stress level that they go through on a daily basis. And it's outstanding that they're there for us in in everything that's happening. 
All right. And I want to give a shout out to the listeners, of course. Thank you. Uh, Jeff, of course, you. we love having you on the show, and you are welcome anytime you want to come on. I'm so happy when we are able to find the time for you to come on because I know you are a very busy man. Uh, shout out to Yield and to Alex. Thank you very much for showing up to record and coming with the good questions. Thank you, everybody that sent in a question. Uh, Gareth, Robert Workman, Matthew Bolden, Joseph Priestley, uh, The Brain, and Levi, thank you very much for your questions. And if there's nothing else... Wait, oh. wait Jeff sent you an image. Do we confirm that it's, it's for... Yes, I'm sorry. I apologize. It is coming to all uh, the consoles. The Series X, the Xbox One, the PS5, PS4, and it's coming to the Epic PC. Uh, Jeff, I don't know if you can confirm this. Is that Epic exclusive, or is it coming to Steam as well? It is Epic exclusive, as far as I know. All right, and if you are going to pre-order on the Epic Game Store, please use creator code Proving Gamer. Until next week, happy trophy hunting. Bye. Bye. Later. The theme song is Venus by the band Even off their album Zenith. Permission granted by the band and 12 Stone Records. You can find them on Facebook by going to www.facebook.com slash Even Philippines.